yeah, it really is not the way to do things because we live in such a, an era of like instantaneous, like I want to see this now. It's like, show me what you got. We live in then, a society of instantaneousness. Society. <laughs> you walked into that one. <laughs> yeah, and so... Like, for instance, it happens with my email, too. Like, and I only use Yahoo. It's not even that, you know, intensive, but it won't show me that until and it'll just time out. It'll go now. We can't get everything. So you get absolutely nothing. I'm like, show me my email. (laughs) Oh, well. But so if I find that if I have Firefox open for like long enough, it'll start loading things faster. I don't know. It's weird. But we're back. We're on it. I'm not predicting (sighs) no problems, but. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Just jinx this. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I feel like we need to at least allow uh, the possibility of upwards of three catastrophic errors throughout <laughs> our record. Yeah. And we do need to add, because you, you hypothesized last week, if we start at 1030, we won't have anything go wrong. Because normally we start at, you know, we've been starting at 10 and we don't get started till 1030. So yeah. this just proves that we started at 1030 and it's now 11. <laughs> <laughs> so, it just proves that, of... so it just proves that we don't know what the fuck we're doing. <laughs> Yeah, it just proves that our technology is like so unbelievably old, and yet we're still managing to put out this podcast. I know, but hey, uh, you know, after I get my bills paid and my mortgage <laughs> paid and my hospital bill paid uh, from April that I just got, uh. apparently, uh, and once my unemployment starts rolling, I'm probably, maybe, gonna buy a new laptop. Well, good. That sounds great. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. Oh, yeah. Fuck. I'm as of well as of our record. uh, I am now waiting on five weeks of unemployment. Yeesh. Yeah, I haven't gotten anything yet, so that's great. Yeah, I've heard that's a mess. But but what I have heard though is uh, people who are like funneled, like like caught in that funnel. um, You'll get multiple weeks at once. Oh, that's good. But I I guess I'll just keep holding out hope for that, right? (laughs) Mm Hmm. Jeez. Well, I guess, uh, should we get going? Yeah, let's go for it. All right, might as well get started. Welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. It's a show about one thing, watching Seinfeld for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy. And I'm Ted Hollowell. And today we will be talking about Season 7, Episode 21, The Wait Out. The oddly named, as we both kind of agreed last week, The Wait Out. But it all makes sense, uh, which we'll get to in a little bit. Before that, though, let's start with What is the Deal? Our brand new old segment that we (laughs) should have started seven seasons ago. Uh, what is the deal with stuff from our last episode? The bottle deposit. Uh, first, let's talk about the payroll clerk, because I definitely recognized him from someplace. He's uh, obviously one of those character actors that has been in uh, lots of stuff. And I mean, it just it's yet another person from Seinfeld that has done literally like every sitcom that was popular from like 1990 on. Number one, he had a recurring role as a salesperson, Noel Shemsky on Frasier. Hmm. And I definitely remember him in that role. Yeah, he'd just pop up every now and then. He was kind of a geeky guy. He had like a Star Trek obsession. And so they worked that into the story every now and then, you know, just uh, kind of a bit. Oh, and he had the hots for Roz, too. He was in love with Roz. Do you, did you ever watch Frasier? No, I, I never did. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good one. Maybe we should go back. Maybe when we, um, when we need a new podcast idea, we watch Cheers and then Frasier. <laughs> so... Because uh, okay, or or we watch them uh, parallel at the same. Do you think they at, run parallel at the same time? Yes, I don't fucking know. <laughs> yeah, I uh, well, Cheers was a you know also a big 
not as big, I think, as Seinfeld, but I definitely watched it a ton. I remember when the last episode was on and what an event that was. And so I'm sure there's a Cheers yeah. cast out there do you, somewhere. Do you think Frasier is the most successful sitcom spinoff? If it's not, it's it's up there. If it's what, not, it's like top five. I don't I'm, even know. I'm trying to think of what else would be in that category. There's some weird stuff back in the 70s that you'd go like, oh, wow, that was a spinoff. Like, All in the Family was a spinoff of something you know Laverne and Shirley was a spinoff of Happy Days or something like that you know really? oh, um, huh. yeah Ro- there was Rhoda and Mary Tyler Moore I mean they, they spun off a lot of weird characters you'd go what I didn't know that was connected um, I might be misremembering the what, what I, uh, the Archie Bunker one uh, what was that not married with did I say married with children or did I say all in the family you said all in the family okay uh, that, that was the Archie Bunker one it, right yeah but now that I'm thinking about it um, I feel like married with children at least had a spinoff or was a spinoff or something. Let me see. I just I'm curious now. Um, oh no, uh, All in the Family was based on a British sitcom, but I feel like anyway. I feel like there's a famous one where you go, oh, that was a spinoff. Wow. But Fraser definitely like became its own thing. It like it almost became bigger than Cheers. Maybe it wasn't, but like it'd be like Joey being as popular as Friends. You know, it's like man, God. who saw that coming? <laughs> <laughs> it was at least as popular as Cheers, which is unheard of for a spinoff. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It would have been hilarious. I, I mean, that would have been great if Joey was as popular and as funny and entertaining as Friends was. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Matt LeBlanc would have loved that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, out of everybody, I think he probably would have yeah, really appreciated us thinking that. <laughs> Coming up next year, once we run out of Seinfeld episodes, the Joey podcast. But just to bring it back, that would be I would love to watch Joey because I don't even think I watched it in its first run and I was I, a big fan of Friends. I don't even know where you can watch it now. You probably just have to tour it. <laughs> yeah. That that's one of those things that NBC is going to try and hide. Like, no, yeah. this didn't happen. <laughs> Joey, that doesn't No, we wouldn't have tried that. I mean, we would have given it to Rachel or Chandler maybe, but Joey, don't, no, that doesn't sound like us. <laughs> But then they did keep keep giving Matthew Perry sitcoms that like never went anywhere. They were like, just be Chandler on this new thing. Like, what if Chandler was a sports radio host who's depressed? Or what if Chandler ran a, an arena in Florida? Like, he did have these other. Maybe they weren't all NBC, but I was I was there for him. Like, I like Matthew Perry, and then his these shows would just get canceled. Oh man, I mean, it definitely it definitely sounds like they're just trying to live off. The, the success of Friends and really not create any new ideas or any new characters, which I know is a shock that a network would do that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, because, you know, you hire Matthew Perry, it's like you're going to get Chandler. I mean, that's yeah. just like you hire um, Jennifer Aniston, you're going to get Rachel. You know, it's just like. <laughs> Although it, I, and, I would say that yeah. I think Jennifer Aniston has the most out of any of the friends cast members like stepped out of the bubble of rachel yeah yeah it's almost like she's reached that movie star status where saying that is like saying if you if you hire george clooney you're gonna get george clooney it's like yeah he's (laughs) such he's such a famous person that he can't you can't remove his personality from his roles like i watched the david arquette uh wrestling documentary on hulu yeah and which, by the way, side note, really, really well done documentary. Um, but Courtney Cox is in it. Uh, yeah. Because obviously they, they were married at one point. But even whenever she is on screen, she is Monica. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she had a modicum of success with Cougar Town, too. Like that became its own thing for a long time. So she sort of broke away and had a little success there uh, with that. 
just to bring it back to Seinfeld, though. Uh, I <laughs> oh, think yeah, Cheers, that show. <laughs> I think Cheers would be a good extension because of George's vendetta against Ted Danson. Mm. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that would work out pretty well. Um, and Patrick Kerr, just to keep talking about uh, the, the payroll clerk, back to that. Uh, he was on Curb Your Enthusiasm as the blind piano player and acquaintance of Larry David, which is a very funny storyline. I think I've even talked about it uh, before on the show, on this show. And uh, as an ER patient, oh, he was on ER as a patient who was attacked <laughs> by a group of schoolgirls after he flashed them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, okay. Uh, good. I know. Good for the schoolgirls. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was, yeah. Uh, that's crazy. That's funny. That's a funny storyline. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, other television appearances in Kerr's repertoire include Law and Order, The Drew Carey Show, Yes, Dear, Just Shoot Me, Third Rock from the Sun, Will and Grace. Friends and the friend spinoff Joey. How about that to bring it back to Joey? Wow. Yeah. Oh my I don't know god. If he he's in the- everything. <laughs> I don't know if he was the same character in Friends and Joey, but he was definitely on both. I hope he was. <laughs> if he exists in that universe, he's gotta be, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I, don't I, want, I know I, don't... I know Joey wasn't the MCU or anything, but like yeah, yeah, the JCU. <laughs> the Joey Cinematic Universe. <laughs> but the JCU, I mean, if the JCU didn't do that, then they have one up on the MCU because we got the Human Torch playing Captain America. We got, uh, you know, Ryan Reynolds playing Deadpool and whatever that. I guess that was supposed to be Deadpool with the with the mouth like wired shut or, or painted shut oh, or yeah. whatever. Oh, yeah. Wolverine thing. But we've had, oh, we've got uh, Thanos and we've got Cable uh, playing being the same person. So, I mean... You know, Joey would have a little bit more integrity and than the MCU. <laughs> that, that's that's true. And also, I don't know if you are watching WandaVision or if you are adverse to WandaVision spoilers. Um, I am adverse. If oh, okay, if you don't want any yeah. spoilers? I don't want any spoilers because, yeah, I want to watch that one Oh, <laughs> boy, Tim. Okay, so as of our recording, episode five yeah. dropped a couple of days ago. And Is that the one with the big cameo in it? It's the big cameo, the big fucking skywalker at the end of mandalorian uh yeah. cameo level it's it's Which is also something that got, like got ruined for me months ago because i'm so <laughs> far behind on the mandalorian too <laughs> well um, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you what even knowing that cameo happens will not yeah. ruin how incredible that scene is exactly and, and like i don't know like okay so he shows up great i have no idea the context like okay. i know that's going to be very interesting you know yes so, yeah I, I will say um, that. Yeah. Like the fact he doesn't just like walk by in the grocery store. Hey, was that Luke Skywalker? Cool cameo. <laughs> it's it's the level of cameo of uh, Conan O'Brien on How I Met Your Mother, where he's literally standing up from one of the booths in the background of the bar and walking outside. That's funny. Um, what was I going to say about WandaVision or the? Ca- oh yeah. Or right, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say a name and you tell me if I'm not. You know what? No, I'm not gonna do that because I I think it was ruined for me, but um. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to know. I, 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 I will indulge ask. you if you want. No, no, I don't want to know. Okay, okay. Even though it'll probably be like this time next year and I still haven't watched it, but we'll see. Probably. <laughs> Too much to watch. There's certain things that you just watch before literally anyone has ever heard of them. And then there's certain yeah. very popular <laughs> shows where you wait years, but like longer than after everyone has stopped talking about it. And I, I can never... 
I, I, I can never like pinpoint where that divide is. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I have uh, eclectic taste, I guess. I don't know. I'm like, I'm, I'm, it's just, it's just hipsterism, you know. It's oh like my if it's, god! It's not that if it's popular. Um, You're not Jerry level uh, adverse to to popular to things, things that are popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's not that I think if, if something's popular, it can't be good. It's just that <laughs> I, I hitch my wagon to things that I'm like, oh, everyone's gonna you know love this, and then I just don't, I don't know what people are gonna like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, one last bit about Patrick Kerr. He of course does have a Disney Channel series credit, and he was on the show Jesse as Clement Brule. Oh, okay. Yeah. So as always, there's always a Disney Channel credit. Obviously, um, Elaine asked Jerry at one point, what the hell were you thinking leaving my clubs in that car? And Jerry said, well, I didn't count on my mechanic pulling a Mary Beth Whitehead, did I? A <laughs> reference that was definitely lost on both of us. And it goes to a custody case. It's actually really interesting, the case of Mary Beth Winstead. Uh, Re-Baby M was the custody case that became the first American court ruling on the validity of surrogacy. Huh. Um, I forget what year this was. Hang on, let me see. Because this, what? when did um the bottle deposit, when did that air? That was, are we in 90... Six. Um, 96. Okay. Court case was... Nine, wait. Okay. 1986. 1986. So again, yeah. It's a 10-year case. Oh, the court case wasn't until 88, but still. I mean, basically 10 years removed from the case of Baby M. So, William Stern entered into a surrogacy agreement with Mary Beth Whitehead, whom he and his wife Elizabeth Stern found through a newspaper ad. According to the agreement, Mary Beth Whitehead would be inseminated with William Stern's sperm, making her a traditional, not a gestational surrogate. So her egg, his sperm, and not the egg and sperm implanted into Mary Beth Whitehead's womb. In other words, that's the difference. I, I wasn't sure either, so I had to. Uh, I wanted to make sure I explained it. So br- uh, bring the pregnancy to term and relinquish her parental rights in favor of William's wife, Elizabeth. After the birth, however, you can probably guess from context now, Mary mm-hmm. Beth decided to keep the child. Mary Beth initially relinquished the child to the Stearns, but days later she and her husband kidnapped the infant. William and Elizabeth Stern then sued to be recognized as the child's legal parents. The New Jersey court ruled that the surrogacy contract was invalid, according to public policy, recognized Mary Beth Whitehead as the child's legal mother, and ordered the family court to determine whether Whitehead as mother or Stern as father would have legal custody of the infant using the conventional best interest of the child analysis. Stern was awarded custody with Whitehead having visitation rights. At birth, Mary Beth Whitehead named baby M Sarah Elizabeth Whitehead. She was later renamed Melissa Elizabeth Stern after William Stern was uh, awarded legal custody. After reaching the age of maturity in March of 2004, Melissa Stern legally terminated Mary Beth Whitehead's parental rights and formalized Elizabeth's maternity through adoption proceeding. So that's how it all ended up. Really interesting case because I was like, Jeez. I don't know. You feel like you feel like those surrogacy cases. I don't know. They're they're like, oh well, you agreed to this thing, and and uh, you know, so we're the parents. And the court was like, uh, no, the mom is the parent. Like, oh wow, all right. I uh, okay, was not expecting that. They were like, no, your contract was invalid. Like, wow, that's it's just crazy. It, it shook it, out it, that way. Yeah, that's like a thing that you wouldn't think that could happen. Yeah, yeah, wild. But uh, yeah, and they made like a movie out of it and actually won a bunch of Emmys. So it can't be all that bad for a TV movie anyway. And so that that explains the Mary Beth Whitehead thing. But I didn't think that maybe it is fam- a famous enough court case that people still would get it to this day. But I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it, it definitely shows that it's um, closer to current times than Jerry normally references. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I think... 
how it just escaped both of us definitely goes to show how much in the public conscious it is. Does that make sense? Yeah, that it's not very much in the public conscious. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, how little it's in the public conscious. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe in 96 it still was. Yeah, yeah, it must have been still being talked about. Well, what's something that happened like in 20... Anywhere from like 2011 to 2013, like big, big, big case, um, big, big court case. Uh, Jody Arias was that oh, 2011? Yeah, that sounds, I don't. Was she the one uh, with the, whose daughter like was murdered, and they think she did it, and because she had those like weird web searches? Is that her? Uh, no, no, I, that's a different thing. Yeah, no, that was. Um, oh my god, I the name is escaping me now. I think that's that's um, that's something, Anthony. Casey the, Anthony. Casey Anthony was the yeah, mom. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and look at how much thought we had to put into just Casey Anthony. Yeah. So, maybe it wasn't public knowledge, at least uh, grand public knowledge, large yeah, scale public knowledge in 96. What about the one um, Italy? What about the one in Italy? Uh, the lady, the girl who like murdered her roommates and they like tried her twice. Amanda Knox. There you go. There's another one another oh man i don't yeah I, I closed it out before i found out the year but yeah these are all good examples of like court cases that caught the public's attention that are going to be maybe sitcom references that our grandchildren go huh <laughs> yeah absolutely it, it just shows a couple years later no yeah. one remembers a thing yeah even we're going huh wait yeah. what was that what did she do i don't wait, remember wait, I, I wait, remember wait, the what name. happened was it kaylee no it was casey <laughs> Yeah. So they're going to uh, here. George Steinbrenner says this to George Costanza as he's being carried off by the men in white coats. They're going to take you away to a nice place where you can get some help. They're very family friendly there. My brother-in-law was there for a couple of weeks. The man was obsessed with lactating women. They completely cured him, although he still eats a lot of cheese. And I, I just wanted to know if any of Steinbrenner's family was institutionalized. George Steinbrenner was the only son of his parents, Rita and Henry Steinbrenner. But Steinbrenner did have two younger sisters, Susan and Judy. But I and um, when I when I Googled them, you know, they came up and they had different last names. So presumably they did get married and Steinbrenner does have brother in laws. But I couldn't find anything about them being institutionalized. So at least I do know that he had. I was like, okay, well, at least he, it's a possibility that he had brother in law, brothers in law. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? That, at least that was accurate, but I couldn't, I could, didn't find anything about them being institutionalized, but I thought it would have been kind of a, a funny real life <laughs> reference. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, hypothesized last week because Newman uh, stumbles upon a farmhouse and a, and a very attractive woman enters the door and her father, the farmer, says, you know, you can stay here, but keep, don't flirt with my daughter. Keep your hands off my daughter or whatever. Harkening back to the old trope of the farmer's daughter jokes. And I was like, I wonder, I bet they even have their own Wikipedia page. Guess what, Ted? Farmer's daughter's jokes do have their own Wikipedia oh, page. God. Yeah. There's such a trope that uh, someone has, you know, sourced out an article about them. Uh, <laughs> the farmer's daughter or farm girl is a term for a stock character and stereotype in fiction for the daughter of a farmer, duh, who is portrayed often as a desirable and naive young woman. Now, the plot of farmer's daughter Ew. jokes, as I was kind of explaining last week, often involves the seduction of the daughter by another stock character, the peddler or the traveling salesman. Uh, the concept of the farmer's daughter having sex with an itinerant traveling salesman is particularly prominent in American retellings where they're closely associated with Ozark subculture. So think TV shows like Hee Haw 
and uh, you know the, all the, all the shows in like Pigeon Forge and stuff like that. Like that kind of humor is very uh, farmer's daughter. In, in fact, I'll use a word that um, that George uses in this episode. We're going to talk about folksy. You know, they're folksy, <laughs> and some farmer's daughters jokes can be traced back to at least 1900. Uh, so Ted, I couldn't find the popcorn one that I talked about but do you want to hear a farmer's daughter joke that i did find go for it yeah okay two traveling salesmen ted they're wily two traveling salesmen stranded in the middle of nowhere when their car runs out of gas they see a farm knock on the door guess who opens the door a beautiful young woman she asks how can i help you find gentlemen and they say oh oh, we'd like to use your phone we're out of gas suddenly an older man comes to the front door and moves the young woman aside he says you can use my phone isabel go upstairs the men just gaze just ogle the woman as she heads upstairs and she winks at him before disappearing out of sight the guys call a taxi it's going to be there the next morning the farmer says you can stay the night but don't even think about going near my daughter or i will gun you down like a dog the men are like oh fine yeah no problem they sleep in separate rooms the following morning the farmer calls the men downstairs they head down and find him with a shotgun in his hands he says, one of y'all touched Isabel. I just know it because I placed a razor blade in her privates. So drop your pants and let's see who it was. The first guy is hesitant. He doesn't want to do it. But the farmer loads the shotgun and tells him to do it. He drops his pants. And sure enough, there are cut marks all over his penis, Ted. The farmer shoots him and aims the gun at the second man. The guy drops his pants. There's no cut marks. And the farmer's like, all right, get out and don't let me ever catch you in this town again. The guy runs outside and hops in the taxi. The driver says, where are we going? And the salesman says, Death Drive! Death Drive! Death Drive! Death Drive! <laughs> Jesus Christ. Classic farmer's daughter joke. Okay. What uh, we oh there was a Kennedy family reference and we wanted to know who was Mr. Pitt, <laughs> Elaine's former boss, gonna play tennis with, because Peterman says that. He is going to be inaugurating JFK's clubs this weekend with none other than Ethel Kennedy. And in The Switch, Season 6, Episode 11, Mr. Pitt needs a $300 Brewline tennis racket in order to beat Ethel Kennedy in tennis. So they both are friends with Ethel Kennedy. And she plays a lot of sports for what I'm sure was a very old woman at that point. I would imagine, yeah. (laughs) She's a very uh, athletically (laughs) active old woman. Yeah. Uh, well, as Peterman said, it's, she's a woman whose triumph in the face of tragedy is exceeded only by her proclivity to procreate. <laughs> so Which she's... Is, uh, it's uh, yeah. the most Peterman way to explain that. <laughs> yeah. she's She can persevere. So that's all the stuff we had for What's the Deal. Here's some more trivia and tidbits and stuff. As we suspected, the bottle episode, or the bottle deposit, was originally an hour-long episode, but was split into two parts for syndication. Part one does end, as we suspected, when Tony says he'll bring the car out front but drives away with it instead. So if you're watching it, uh, you know, on uh, Fox 43 at 7 or something, uh, that's when you're going to see it end. And and also, as we suspected, like most two-part Seinfeld episodes, The Bottle Deposit was originally conceived as a normal half-hour episode, but ran considerably over the allotted 23 minutes. And instead of cutting, they padded. And some of the scenes that producers added were... So they were like, well, it's it's going to be too tough to get it down to 23 minutes. So let's just add 20 minutes to it. Jesus uh, Christ. And yeah, I know. Scenes which were added for the second round of filming include the down the whole thing about downtown, like the song George Downtown and then him trying to figure it out. Oh that was all God. added. Jerry's talk with the detective, I guess at his apartment and the identification of the wrecked car, which I'm glad they didn't drop that because the oh, the bits wow. with the detective were pretty good. Yeah. 
but they were at it afterwards. So at least it wasn't all, at least they didn't, weren't like gluing fat back on. Like some of it is pretty good. And I always yeah, liked yeah, the yeah. downtown bit too. I liked when he would go where, where the neon lights are pretty downtown. You know, I liked the way they went. I liked that back and forth. Uh, some other stuff that was added, Kramer and Newman singing 99 bottles of beer. Newman's dinner with the farmer and his daughter and the scene in the insane asylum were all uh, added to the episode. God, I, I wonder. I know. If all of that was added to the episode, I'm guessing that the final episode originally came to 29 minutes instead of like 22. So they decided to add 20 <laughs> minutes on, like you said, in, in, yeah, instead of cutting much. a few minutes off. Yeah, pretty much. That's, it's damn. pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is kind of funny about the farmer's daughter. Her cry of goodbye, Norman, goodbye, at the end of the episode was not scripted. The yeah. actress Karen Lynn Scott misremembered Newman's name, but the, <laughs> the Seinfeld team thought it was so funny and actually made the scene funnier, which I agree. So it was kept in. But a lot of people think that, I guess, no way. Norman might be Newman's real first name, but it's not. His name's not Norman Newman, as funny as I think that would be. Norman Newman. <laughs> Newman's first name is never revealed during the series, so don't wait around wow. for it. Ted. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I, I love that that is not scripted. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's so funny for a show that like almost it seemed like had no improv, you know, like maybe some funny noises from Michael Richards. But, you know, to let a to let a featured extra like this screw up a line and go, you know what? You did it better than us. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> Goodbye, Norman. <laughs> Larry David just comes up and just says, you know what? That stays. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, during the filming of that scene, by the way, Wayne Knight had he was at his peak weight, and he, when he was running, he experienced heart palpitations. And he consulted a doctor afterwards, and he was told that it was imperative that he lose weight, or he was like on the fast track to diabetes and heart disease. And so that's when let uh, when Wayne Knight eventually had like a much trimmer figure. You know, he was never this heavy again. Oh wow! Okay. After, yeah. So Seinfeld saved his life. I guess so. Damn. <laughs> Almost hooking up with the farmer's daughter or, or attempting to hook up with the farmer's daughter saved his life. Yes. The farmer, by the way, is played by Rance Howard, Ron Howard's father. And he Rance Howard also played a blind guy in episode uh, three of season five, The Glasses. And you might remember Rance's son and Ron, Ron's brother, Clint Howard, also was in Seinfeld. Season four, episode oh, two yeah. as the... Um, is he a car thief? I think he's a. I forget what he is. He but. he is the actual um, uh, smog strangler. Smog strangler. Yeah, but I think they catch him trying to steal a car, and yeah, then, then Jerry it. and George allow him to escape by you know just by running out of the car. So yeah, um, <laughs> if you recognize Rance Howard, that's why. And and we definitely talked about him before when we. Uh, back in the glasses episode in, in season five. Newman states that Mother's Day is the busiest card day for the Postal Service, but it is actually third behind Christmas and Valentine's Days, uh, which he does mention are like, you know, he's like on, on Valentine's Day, we sent two. On Christmas, we sent three. But but Mother's Day is five trucks. And I was like, that always did sound backwards to me. So that's yeah. uh, the official deal there. Uh, there are 10 states in the United States with container deposit legislation in order to ensure an increased recycling rate. And uh, states that have the returns, they like overall U.S. recycling is like 33%, but states with bottle deposits have 70% average rate. Ooh. Michigan's is 97% because of their 10 cent return. Wow. So move to Michigan if you want to live a green lifestyle, right? 
Yeah, well, just, it, it gets even well, better because the legislation has reduced roadside litter by between 30 and 64% in states with bottle bills. Huh. Yeah. Uh, Michigan's 10-cent containers, you can turn in uh, containers made of metal, glass, paper, or plastic that are under one U.S. gallon. So Kramer's two-liter bottle would be eligible. Hmm. I was questioning okay. that when I was like, I thought it was all cans, you know, but no, it's just it's just anything that, that is uh, under a gallon. And it is prohibited by Michigan law to return bottles from out of state. In addition to this, Bottle returns cannot be in excess of $25. So Kramer and Newman, in order to make $1,000 in bottle returns, would have taken 40 individual trips to stores to make the returns in order to complete their goal. <laughs> now, where, where, were these, where were these deposits uh, taken at? Like any, any grocery store? Or were there designated uh, recycling deposit facilities? I think both. I mean, whenever I've been in a state like California had has a five the five cent return, I think, and um, mm-hmm. like they just have one at the grocery store outside. Uh, I think that's like kind of a common thing. But yeah, then then some states I do know that you have to take it to a a designated state yeah. recycling I, place or whatever. I was gonna say like if you just drop it off at like a deposit box, how do you get your money? Right, right. Yeah, you just it it, it really. I mean, when I've been, you put in a can, it spits out a, a nickel. You know, I mean, like it's oh. really one at a time. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's oh what, my yeah. god, that would take forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so forty individual trips to stores, doing that up to twenty five dollars each time for ten cents a piece. Yeah, it would have taken them a lot longer. <laughs> and we saw how uh, much Kramer was encumbered by having two huge pockets full of pennies. <laughs> In yeah. the calzone, imagine having one or five hundred dollars in, <laughs> uh, well, in dimes, I guess. These days, I bet they do it like a coin star, where you put all your coins in, it gives you a receipt, and you take it to customer service and get actual bills. That's I bet there's <laughs> I bet that's something like that. There, so there's a bunch of cases where you know people have just stolen cans and bottles for the actual return, but n- none bigger than in September of 2007, a 15-person operation was busted for illegally smuggling millions of beverage containers from other states and cashing the deposit in Michigan. Police found over $500,000 in cash. And unlike Kramer's scheme, the operation sold the cans to merchants at discount who then redeemed them for full value. So I guess they'd be like, oh, here's 100 cans or or 1,000 cans or whatever. We'll give them to you for five cents a can, and then you turn them in and you make double your money back. And I guess that was easier to the robbers than doing what Kramer would have to do and go to 40 different stores to make a thousand bucks or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's a pretty big bottle deposit uh, scheme there. And I think that's it as far as trivia and tidbits and information. All right. Uh, I actually have uh, an additional bit of homework. I finally uh, did my research on Clearly Canadian Oh. And I watched this YouTube video by Scott Kramer, who is a commentary YouTuber. And uh, Tim, I believe you said that you read a little bit of the comment, be- like um, branching off of Rhett and Link uh, from Good mm-hmm. Mythical Morning, their attempt to bring Clearly Canadian back. I I, I don't want to like just say exactly everything that Scott Kramer says in his video. So if you want to watch his video, I highly suggest it. But... Uh, this started as a campaign in 2014 is when Rhett and Link found out about it. And they they made it very clear they were not being paid to advertise Clearly Canadian. Although, however, that seems to have changed in the beginning of 2015, where they said that they were being commissioned by Clearly Canadian to get people to buy and pre-order a case of Clearly Canadian, 12 bottles for $30. 
Hmm. And in addition, Rhett and Link were going to be having a live stream where everybody at the same time cracked open their bottles of Clearly Canadian, <laughs> drank it at the same time, and Rhett and Link were going to offer a video tour of their, at the time, brand new studio. Well, uh. what happened was, uh, in, in Scott Kramer's case, it took them seven months to charge his card for pre-ordering the Clearly Canadian. It took him... <laughs> 14 months to even receive it and at that point he got the wrong box uh, he got the wrong flavor of clearly canadian he he drank all but two of them because he was still holding on to hope that this live stream was gonna yeah. happen that that he must have missed or something but he he did all of his research and it never happened so in this video he he posed the question he's like look i i, I grew up uh, I spent all my college years watching Rhett and Link. I they're they're great guys. They they seem like great guys. I'm still huge fans of them. I'm not mad. I just want an answer. And so yeah. this comment is from Good Mythical Morning from Rhett and Link. Uh, it says. Uh, Scott, yes, sorry, we ghosted. We wish there was a more exciting or conspiracy theory confirming reason why, but the truth is we severed our relationship with the folks at Clearly Canadian back in 2015. Mind you, this is on a video published in 2018. Uh, yeah. that, that's, that's when Scott, Scott Kramer's video was published, January of 2018. Uh, back in 2015, after, frankly, we had the same frustrating experience that you did. There were so many times we were told one thing and another happened that we started to believe our initial goal of bringing back a drink from our childhood was never going to happen. There were a lot of lessons learned from this experience on our end, and we fully own that we should have handled our messaging differently when things started to go awry. A lot of time has passed, Link's hair is gray now, and we hope you, as well as all concerned <laughs> mythical beasts, the names of their fans, understand the miscommunication. Best, Rhett and Link. Wow, well, I bet all the fans were glad to have that, uh, you know, finally it, put to rest and, like, yeah, some it, answers. It's definitely, it's definitely a little bit of closure. Um, and I, I want to say, at the end of this Scott Kramer video, he wrote a song and shot a music video with the help of Drake Bell. <laughs> or, uh, depending on uh, where you are listening to this episode from, Drake Campania. Because I didn't know if you knew this, Tim. Drake Bell is now fluent in Spanish and is going by the name Drake Campania. Because Campania is Spanish for Bell, and he is a <laughs> almost 100% Spanish artist because his music was always way more popular in <laughs> Spanish-speaking countries. Okay. I would love that if now he's singing in Spanish, they're like, not as good. Not as good. I, I liked when he was singing in English. <laughs> but yeah, like you, you look up, I think his... Uh, his Instagram username might still be Drake Bell, but the name on it is Drake Campania. Okay. <laughs> it's funny that, like, it just goes to show you how mismanaged the clearly Canadian company was, at least back then, that, like, you know, to... And I, and I know, like, being a YouTuber is, like, you are your own corporation at that point, but, like, the fact that these two guys who just do, like, a little show on, on YouTube had, like more integrity than this beverage company with like international distribution, you know, or that was trying to get back to its international distribution. <laughs> well, I think at the time Rhett and Link had a staff that trumped clearly Canadian. I, I feel like clearly <laughs> Canadian was the, was the one or two guys in front of a 
computer trying to figure out how this worked. <laughs> Meanwhile, Rhett and Link had, at the time, this entire, like, production empire. Yeah. Well, they had just built a new studio, like you said. Exactly, yeah. In, um, in Burbank. Wow. Okay. So, any other, like, news or tidbits or anything? I, I don't think so. I know we got to get started, but I, I do want to mention this before it goes to... So, um, the, the Champagne Video Store Instagram, which I uh, think is hilarious, they posted this edit of... In, in honor of Dustin Diamond from Say by the Bell, who passed away uh, this month in February, that we posted this. And they posted a, a video edit they made, Signed by the Feld, with the Say by the Bell intro and making it look like Seinfeld... Making Seinfeld look like the Say by the Bell intro. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> and... Seinfeld music guy Jonathan what's his name Jonathan Wolf yeah. uh, commented and he was like oh I got to work with Dustin Diamond because I did the theme song for Say by the Bell the college years and I commented back to him I was like I love that one too I'm standing up the edge of tomorrow I, I like I definitely remember that one it's not as good <laughs> but I you know I so I commented I was like hey I love that one too and he was and he he commented back to me on Instagram saying, hey, you know, it was a good day's work. Uh, so I had a little exchange with wow. uh, someone from the Seinfeld cinematic universe. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I um, liked it. All right. Well, before I get to the disclaimer, I want to give a shout out to Alex Luber on Twitter, who made me audibly laugh in the McDonald's drive through with his reply to one of our tweets. Uh, it was our tweet about uh, Mike Pence starting a podcast <laughs> And I, I think it was you that replied, he better not be talking about Seinfeld. Yeah. Um, but Alex replied, no hugging, parentheses, women who aren't your wife. No learning, parentheses, from books that aren't the Bible. Yeah, too good of a joke. Way I, too good. I, I read that and I, I, I snorted uh, with my windows up, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, genius. Uh, okay, if you have never listened to us before, we are not... Uh, can, can I even say this this week? We are not a research-heavy show, despite the last 42 minutes. Uh, granted, that is pre-editing. Um, despite the last 42 minutes being uh, exclusively research, uh, we like to have our questions come up naturally in the run of the episode and assign them to ourselves the week following as though we are giving ourselves homework. If we miss anything, if we egregiously skip over something, please send us a tweet at no hugging or send us an email, no hugging, no learning show at gmail.com. Both of those links are in the description or on the show description page on Apple Podcasts or Audible. Uh, if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts, Audible, uh, Spotify, wherever uh, you can leave a rating and a review. If you do so and you tell us that you do so, we will send you a holographic, no hugging, no learning sticker free of charge. Uh, just get us your mailing address. And obviously, if you are waiting on one of these stickers, uh, it's been a, a couple of weeks or so, let us know. Uh, sometimes uh, the the U.S. Postal Service is very backed up right now. And um, sometimes something as small as one of these stickers in one of the, the cards I'm sending them in, uh, they, they get lost. Uh, so let us know. I'll send out another one. That's that's no big deal. Um, okay, so Season 7, Episode 21, The Wait Out. Original air date, May 9th, 1996. I was three years, four months, and 19 days old. And Tim, if you are counting this episode and every other episode we have left, we've got 46 episodes until we become a, I don't know, you know, typically I pinpoint one thing from our <laughs> homework, but like we talked about way too many things today. 
<laughs> and uh, our episode hasn't even fucking started. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you could just go with the Cheers Fraser podcast. Yeah, you know what? 46 episodes <laughs> until we become a parallel universe <laughs> Cheers and Fraser podcast. Oh, I got do- So wait, well, you go, go with your idea and I'll tell you mine. Okay, we do one episode of Cheers, we do one episode of Frasier each week, and then we compare them to each other and which one was better, even though they exist in two entirely different (laughs) uh, points in the same timeline. I think you should watch an episode of, say, Cheers, and I'll watch an episode of Frasier, and then we'll, you know... We'll, we'll we'll talk about it and try to explain it to the other one as as, as quickly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> we we set a timer and the whole show covering two half hour episodes of a sitcom can only be twenty minutes in length. And the next week we switch, so that means you will have only seen the odd numbered episodes of Cheers, oh and I'll only have God. seen the even numbered oh episodes God. of Frasier. <laughs> I like this. I like this way more than I should. <laughs> I think it'd be a, just a, just a dumpster fire, but it'd be uh, it'd be fun. <laughs> like, damn! I wish I knew what happened last week. It seems like it was a big deal, but uh, maybe you know. I guess Ted, you're gonna have to explain it to me. We we each only have like a few minutes. Like, I don't know who I don't know who this person is, but they just said this thing. <laughs> yeah, seemed to be in reference to episode five, but I didn't see that. So. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, if you are looking at TV Guide the night of May 9th, 1996, you are going to see Jerry and Elaine anticipate dating soon-to-be single friends, parenthetical, Carrie Elwes and Deborah Messing. Oh, uh-huh. All right. We open the stand-up bit as normal, and this is about uh, Jerry not understanding why you, you know, how, how separated how people get separated and what the difference that is. He's like, it's almost like you're engaged to be divorced, which I thought was a pretty funny, uh, you know, (laughs) was a pretty funny parallel. And he even goes through, he's like, first you're separated and then you're engaged, then you're married and then you're separated and then you're divorced or something like that. It was, it was a pretty good little, uh, you know, turn of phrase. And he's like, and then he compared it to getting separated in school. That's when you had too good a time. And so when your kid hears that you got, you're getting separated you think your parents got caught fooling around, which is maybe even true. How, Again, not the did, funniest punchline at the end, but... Yeah, you know, how did you feel about this in regards to what we've discovered over the last couple of weeks of Jerry just really hammering the point home? Because, um, like, at, at the end, he's like, and actually, that maybe was the case. Maybe that, that maybe was the case of, like, getting caught fooling around. Yeah. I feel I, like in that case, it maybe did have to be explained in that way. Because he was comparing it to like, well, in high school, you're fooling around. It's because you're like talking in class or hitting each other or whatever. Yeah. But it's, you know, he kind of had to make the 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 uh, different connotation a yeah. little more See, obvious, I'm, I think. I'm in the same boat with you. I, I thought I thought it definitely worked here, but I definitely think it was uh, in the same realm as his over explanation of the point in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. What I liked about his button on it was it was like it was obviously scripted and timed out to fit in this thing, but I like the way he just kind of threw it off. He's like, "Yeah, oh well, which uh, might actually like it just occurred to him in that moment, you know, yeah. it was just kind of <laughs> tossed off at the end, like not as a <laughs> oh, punchline, no. but as like, but as like a, a tag, like a joke tag." He's like, "Oh, which might actually be the case." <laughs> that just occurred to me that that has a double meaning, fooling around, <laughs> you know, that kind of that kind of play on the joke. <laughs> I think that's why it didn't seem as you know hammering a point home as it as it has in the past. Uh, we open at Monk's, and this looks like a new establishing shot to me. It's that side yeah. of the building where we normally see like the the bootleg CD seller. This is but it, this is new B roll. I'm pretty sure. 
Yeah, it, it looked like springtime. You know, everyone has still kind of like uh, jackets on, but the the leaves on the trees are are green. You can tell, you can see they're coming back. I don't know. Um, when did this air again? Uh, ninety six. Yeah, but what month? May. May. Okay, so yeah. that kind of fits into the springtime theme. Yeah. Well, you um, you remember like how I've pointed out in the past? It looks like some of this B roll is from the seventies because yeah. it looks old and dated. <laughs> this does not. This does not look old. This looks like it is at like earliest from the late Mm -hmm. 80s yeah yeah it looked it looked good and 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 it it made me feel like i'm watching it in spring which is when it aired so they Mm -hmm. they probably did that on purpose uh elaine has a new she is debuting a new straight hairdo and jerry says she looks like brenda Starr, and elaine doesn't even know who that is she goes is that good (laughs) so i'm gonna write it down right now because i know neither of us know who that is (laughs) cool okay i'm glad that they're playing into it though yeah, yeah, exactly. Is that good? And and then Jerry goes, at least it's not Gandhi. And I'm like, okay, does Brenda Starr have something to do with Gandhi? Or was that just a non sequitur? You know? <laughs> we'll find out. Uh, I might, I better write down Gandhi or I'm going to even forget to look up the uh, connection. <laughs> Brenda Starr slash Gandhi. <laughs> does Brenda Starr have a connection to Gandhi? And they notice over at another table, David and Beth Luckner and Elaine heard that their marriage is rocky. And they both get excited because Jerry has always had a thing for Beth. And Elaine says David is sponge worthy. A great callback. And George enters and saw a car out front that was taking up like three spots. Well, that's Elaine. She's borrowing it from a friend of hers. And the Luckners come over. And our inter- Beth introduces George to her husband, David. And he sells furniture. But Beth used to be Don Mattingly's physician, and he knows George works for the Yankees, so there's a little connection there. And then George is like, well, a salesman marrying a doctor, and tells Beth, you know, you could have done a lot better than him. And <laughs> To, to uh, which, like, it's, this- it, no one laughs it off. No, no one laughs here. But yeah. uh, Beth and David, or that, is that their names? Beth and David? Yeah, yeah Beth and David, yeah. they look at each other, and they're like, uh, I know. I felt like the table got a good laugh out of it, though. I especially, I feel like especially Julia Louis Dreyfus really cracked up. At Did it. they? Okay, I must yeah. have just only been paying attention to Beth and David. Yeah, and that was the, that was the right reaction to look for because we know we know what George doesn't know is that like yeah, yeah. their marriage they are thinking about not being married to each other. <laughs> um, up in the apartment, Kramer and Mickey come in. We're seeing Mickey again. He's it's been a while, and Mickey's auditioning for the actor's studio, and Kramer is going to be his scene partner in this uh, scene about a businessman being interrogated by a police officer. And Jerry insinuates that Kramer's like, oh man, my pants are falling apart. And he's like, you know, Kramer, you used to wear jeans all the time and now you can't, uh, you know, and kind of blames it on Kramer's body, which makes me think like, well, how skinny did Kramer used to be? Yeah, Kramer is the definition of a beanpole. Yeah, I'm like, wait, you think he, you think he can't fit into jeans now because he's like a 27 or instead of a 26? Like, what are, what are you thinking? <laughs> Does Jerry think jeans aren't made past a size 27? Yeah, or, uh, you mean, know, we know that Jerry wears a 32, but he, he crosses it out and puts a 31. So Jerry does know they come in bigger sizes if you can't fit into a certain size. And also, just looking at Kramer, there's no way his size is going to be the same waist-wise as it is lengthwise. Looking at Kramer, he's going to be like a 32-38. Yeah, (laughs) I think that's accurate. And I loved loved the way Kramer worked himself up to go buy jeans with Jerry saying nothing. Like, Jerry does make a little face. He's like, oh, you think I can't wear any jeans? Are you saying I can't wear jeans anymore? I'll go out and buy some jeans. 
That's it. I'm going to my job. I love the way I love scenes that are written like that. I think of a, I can think of a couple from movie history. Like uh, Ocean's Eleven has a great one when they have. Ten, he's like, all right, so that's ten guys. That should be good, right? You think we need another guy? You think we need another guy? All right, we'll get another guy. And it's like it's it's George Clooney and Brad Pitt. Like Brad Pitt staring at the television. And George Clooney just like leads himself to that own little. Con- I love. Uh, there's another good one in, in uh, La La Land with, between J.K. Simmons and. Ryan Gosling that I love. I, I love when scenes are written like this. Oh, what was that scene? What was the scene between J.K. Simmons? He's and telling Ryan him Gosling? to play. He was like, "Don't play any of that jazz stuff." Do they do they want to hear traditional Christmas carols? That's right. And and Ryan's like, well, "How about one for me and one for you?" He's like, "How about two for you and one for me? Three for you and one for okay? How about all for you?" And J.K.'s like, "Yeah, that's right." Or <laughs> something like that. He just stands there and stares at him while he negotiates right. oh my God. lower and lower <laughs> until he's like, "Okay, I'll do what you want." <laughs> not not to leave out Kramer's line that he says. I got the body of a taut preteen Swedish boy. Jeez, <laughs> oh, yeah. Put that up there with uh, I feel like a naked Indian boy from back in the day, oh, whatever that was. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He compares himself to young boys' bodies way too much. <laughs> <sighs> uh, uh, Elaine is driving uh, uh, in the next scene, and she's driving a Ford Taurus. It looks exactly like the one I used to drive. I used to drive a oh, really? my dad's old 1992 seafoam green Ford Taurus. Yeah, Ooh. and I drove it just directly into the ground. I think there was like 250,000 miles on it or something uh, when it finally died. But it looks exactly the same as the one Elaine is driving, and she is a horrible driver. Oh, my and God. she's even doing something that people do today she's dialing a telephone that's in the car to check her messages while she's driving and jerry is like freaking out he's getting car sick he's uh, he's terrified like right but, after she yeah. says like nice turn signal moron she <laughs> looks down at the center console like totally new thought and just like i better check my messages yeah totally just dialing a phone not even looking at the road <laughs> and um and like slamming on the brakes at red lights and stuff Jesus. and she does have a message it's her friend who tells her that david and beth have separated and so at monks elaine and jerry are scheming how to make their moves and i love jerry's line you know because elaine's like well we got to play it you know they they need time to grieve and jerry says their grieving is a luxury i can't afford (laughs) (laughs) again like not caring anything about anyone's feelings he says like it is um, is this where Jerry says uh, it's like when a tenant dies in a rent-controlled building? You gotta take immediate action. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He thinks everybody's been waiting on this marriage stand <laughs> so they can pounce on David and Beth, especially in his case. So he's like, "I'm calling Beth tonight," and he suggests that Elaine does the same uh, to David. And Elaine's like, "All right, why are we calling?" And then Elaine comes up with saying, "Just I'm calling to let you know I'm there for you, <laughs> and that'll be their in, and then eventually they'll just be there." And up in the apartment, George wonders if his folksy comment, as he said, is the reason for uh, Beth and David breaking up. And I love the because a lot of stuff I call I I call things like jokes that I guess dad jokes or like jokes that old guys think are still funny. You know, like we talk about Alzheimer's jokes like, oh, I was going to say something about Alzheimer's, but I forgot what it was. Ha ha ha. I'm like, I always call that hack, but I'm like, maybe I should start using the word folksy because hack makes it seem like. Uh, it's nefarious or something, you know, and folksy just means like it's a joke that has worked for centuries. You know, it goes back yeah. to See, folklore. I, I was like, maybe that's a nicer way of saying what I've always been trying to say. I always just refer to it as like boomer humor. Yeah. And and some boomer humor is is definitely like 
is hack. Some boomer humor is hack, but mm-hmm. not all hack jokes are are boomer humor. I guess that's, that's so, true. Yeah, um, I yeah. boomer boomer humor is almost like the malicious side of folksy humor. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Like, I, I, yeah. I feel Think, like, like I, I feel yeah. like more boomer humor would be like taking that that dementia joke and saying like, "Well, oh, I was going to complain about something about Joe Biden, but I forgot." You know? <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 Or any jokes about gender constructs any yeah. jokes any like racial jokes like that like crosses the line from folksy just right into to boober humor <laughs> i i i think i think that's exactly it the, yeah if, you, if it has that malicious tinge to it it's like all right that's that's not folksy <laughs> anymore that's just okay boomer <laughs> but but you know like this is a great example of a folksy joke like you know how many times has like an old person come up and gone oh what's she doing with you ha 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 you know and you know they don't oh, think you're ugly or dumb or God. or whatever the case may be it's like just a funny thing that you know it, it goes back to the old days of courting it's like men aren't good enough for any woman so like that's the joke you know it's how, like we're how all... many how many times did that happen with uh our former boss <laughs> who, who would do that with almost every woman he would see uh with one of his like employees who was a male yeah i know i know exactly yeah good i was like wait Lord. at first i was thinking of one boss but now i know which one you're talking about yeah <laughs> Yeah, very, very folksy humor. <laughs> he was Jesus like, I was, but George is, George is like, I was being folksy. They know I was being folksy, right? Like, yeah, I think anybody, like I just said, would know, like, oh, haha, you think my wife's too attractive for me. That's great. You know, like, I, I agree. She's very beautiful. You know, like, it's folksy. You, you can't take any, can't take any offense to it. And George is like, well, it seems like they did. And Kramer walks in in the middle of this conversation with the three of them, and he's wearing slim fit jeans. <laughs> I laughed. So hard at this scene. Oh my gosh. I mean, just this is, I laughed. Yeah. This is one of the funniest Michael Richards bits to me. I laughed. Yeah. I I was loving this. (laughs) I I laughed. It wasn't my favorite, though. (laughs) It caught me so off guard. And and Kramer's trying to play it cool. And everyone's just staring at him. And he can barely move. He's like staggering around. I, I thought it was very funny. And later, Elaine and Jerry are on phone calls. Uh, Jerry gets a dinner date with Beth, and Kramer barges in, meanwhile, and he can't get his pants off to get in costume. to be. A, he's like, I'm supposed to be a businessman. I can't be in these jeans. And Jerry tries to pull the jeans off in several ways. And again, I was cracking up with, like, he's, he's <laughs> laying back on the couch, and he's falling over, and his legs are, like, completely straight. And... Kramer uh, ends up staggering to the audition, but I thought this was also hilarious. Another funny bit with Jerry, who we don't see doing a lot of physical humor, but having to play along with Michael Richards, I thought was just, again, I thought it was hilarious. And we cut to JoJo, which is still there. It's a restaurant at 160 East 64th Street. Whoa. It's got a little bit of, yeah, it's got a new facade, but it, it's it's in exactly the same spot that it was in 97 or whenever the B-roll is from. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, it's described as an elegant townhouse restaurant by Jean-Georges Vangerichten with a seasonal French menu. And uh, just to give you an example of what kind of place it is, they do have a curated Super Bowl dinner this weekend. We're recording this, uh, you know, the the Super Bowl Sunday uh, for two to four people for $148. And it comes with sushi, tuna tartare, guacamole, fried chicken and rice, mac and cheese, two kinds of cake and two cookies. So for 150 bucks, I don't know that uh, I'd, I'd venture to see what I'd, I would love to know what they think a portion is for a person, but it yeah, doesn't seem like such a bad deal. Two to four people. Uh, I mean, it, especially New York City, that's not that bad. Um, nah, nah. 
<laughs> you started reading the menu. I'm like, ah, yes, uh, pork tartare. That's that's <laughs> what I think tartar. of tuna tartare. That's what I think yeah. of when I'm watching the Super Bowl. Uh, but then, but then you got into like, oh yeah, fried chicken, mac and cheese, cake and cookies. Yeah, I'm like, oh okay, that's more like it. Yeah. Now their <laughs> Valentine's Day dinner is a five course meal for two. It's $168 per person. Who? Well, five yeah, courses. Yeah. So that's though. a nice. Yeah, I know. But 170 bucks is like plus tip. Um, tip, yeah. yeah, we're going. We're going Dutch if we're doing you're, that. You're, you're walking out of there probably 500 in the hole. I would say that's yeah accurate. Uh, normal dinner there is going to be like the salmon's like 39, the cheeseburger's 27, the strip loin is 55. So yeah, it's a nice, pricey, organic kind of place uh, there on the the east side of town. And Jer- uh, Jerry and Beth are there, and Beth says that it did have a lot to do. With George's comment, the separation did make her think about, uh, you know, George's <laughs> comment. And I love and she was like, and also, you know, all of his, uh, you know, quirks were really getting to me after three years. And Jerry's line. Yeah, three years is a long time to be married. <laughs> I Jeez. laughed out loud again. <laughs> I thought that was so I almost didn't catch it. It, it. I'm like, my brain had to catch up with how funny it was. I was like, yeah, three years is a long time to be married. I thought that was so funny. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's just so, it's so character, you know, it's it's such in Jerry's character to say mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, so character defining. And one of the quirks that really irked her, a, an irking quirk, was that he would ask questions out loud and he would answer them himself, which he is doing at dinner with Elaine, which we yeah, cut to. We we get uh, the return of the smash cut. Like, w- w- yeah. this is, it's, it's been a thing, like, throughout the last couple of seasons. Never to this degree, though. Yeah, but it sort of needed it to drive home that, like, yes, oh, he asks these questions and he answers them. And in the next second, it's almost like they're all at the same table. You know, the, the scenes are running so parallel. It's like, then he's like, am I upset she left me? Yes. Am I going to pick up the pieces? Yes. What, you know, whatever he's he's doing. Uh, in that case. And Elaine, uh, to Elaine, he also blames George's comments. I like what Elaine's like, well, the thing you got to remember about George is he's an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Thinking she's going to give like some grand explanation and just, he's an idiot. (laughs) By the way, Elaine's makeup in this episode, not HD friendly. And it's especially noticeable in this scene that they really didn't touch up her eyes at all. She's really got like, I mean, I hate to say it, she's got kind of like Trump eyes where oh no made up all around but like around her eyes they didn't touch and i'm like oh man i bet in standard definition this was fine but in the remastered cut it looks a little weird <laughs> yeah and you can't blame her it's definitely all the makeup people are like no this is Absolutely. the way we do it for for standard there's never going to be a higher definition than the definition that we're shooting in right now so i don't know what you think <laughs> tv's gonna be a rectangle no <laughs> no no square all no, the way square square <laughs> So cut to the actor's studio, which is still there. I think it's come up before, and I don't know why, but... Oh, I remember the new school. I thought the actor's studio was part of the new school college up there in New York, but the actor's studio was still there at 432 West 44th Street. It looks exactly the same as it does in this exterior shot. And here's what I did not know about the actor's studio. I thought it was just a school, but it's not. They just have an educational partnership with Pace University in New York City. The actor's studio is an artist collective, and there's you have... Once you pass all the additions, you get free membership for life to the actor's studio. And it's just a group of actors like helping each other out. It's like you're writing a play and you want to workshop it outside of the public eye. Like no critics can see it. No, you know, it's just a place to work on stuff if you're a director or a writer or an actor. And it's like, hey, I want to direct this play. And 
you know, you want to help me put it on this this stage and other actors watch it and they tell you what's good about it. It's just it's really just this collective of people who workshop stuff, <laughs> which I never knew until right now. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I don't know how they, they pay their bills. Maybe it's partly this educational because it says free membership for life. I'm like, oh, that seems to be like the kind of thing you'd you'd need to pay like, you know, a thousand dollars a month to be a part of. But I don't know how they I don't know how they stay afloat, but they yeah, do. Yeah. Mickey is there and Kramer hasn't shown up yet because he's still staggering uh, in his slim fit jeans there. And he's going to be doing a bit from the Terrence Clifford play Flesh Wounds in Ithaca, which has to be fake. It sounds like another great Seinfeld fake you know, normally we're getting fake movie names, but this has to be a fake play name. Kramer does show up at the last second, and part of the scene has to do with Kramer sitting down. And so Mickey tells him to sit down, but he can't because his jeans are too tight. And so Mickey keeps insisting until he gets so angry that he ends up tackling Kramer uh, right on stage. <laughs> Screaming, sit down, you big stupid ape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> up in the uh, apartment, Jerry and Elaine are celebrating and... Elaine's definitely drinking a beer. Is Jerry drinking beer too? Uh, I don't know. I, I think Elaine was the only one drinking. But she yeah, she, the, she was drinking, uh, I don't know if you noticed the can. It was stylized font, but it definitely just said <laughs> beer. Yeah, it's supposed to look like a Coors uh, original <laughs> can, and it just says beer on it in the Coors font. In which, the yeah, Coors font, like. yeah. <laughs> well, cr- Jerry's getting a bottle out of the fridge when we open on this scene, and he's like cracking it open, and I'm like, is that like a root? And he never turns the label. And I'm like, is that a root beer? Or are we drinking like a, a Budweiser or something? It's like a brown bottle. And it's kind of like squat, like you might, you know, imagine a beer hmm. bottle being. But we know that Jerry's not a huge drinker, but we have seen him, you know, take shots of Hennigan's and stuff like that every now and then. Um, or, or suggest that they drink champagne when they're celebrating, when he's celebrating with George um, that one time. So uh, I think it was when he got engaged. So uh, this is a cause for celebration. Maybe he did have a beer in the back of the fridge that he that he cracked open, but it, it I, I couldn't tell. But they're congratulating themselves on last night and how everything's going great. And again, Jerry, you know, psychopath Jerry goes, man, that I'm there for you crap worked like a charm or whatever <laughs> it was. <laughs> and George comes in and Jerry and Elaine are applauding him and so happy to see him, patting him on the back, telling him he's the man of the hour because it was, in fact, his comment that started them thinking and got them, uh, you know, um, separated. And Jerry and Elaine, I noticed, both start dancing, like doing little dances. They're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And Elaine, I want people to see this, and, and longtime fans will know why. Elaine is a very good dancer in this scene, like much better than Jerry, who's just doing like standard white guy moves. But Elaine is a very good dancer, and I want I want you to track that, Ted, for a reason that will become clearer later. But I think other fans will go, Hey, what the? That's uh, interesting. So, um, and George feels terrible, but why? I couldn't figure out. That's so out of character for George to feel bad about anybody else's feelings. Why does it affect him? Yeah. Why does it? Why does he feel any shame all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah. Normally, he uh, just like he wouldn't even look back. Yeah, he'd be like, "Oh, wow, crazy! I, I broke somebody up. Well, you know, Oops. great. You guys are dating him. Yeah, it, it literally doesn't affect me in any way, so I have no reason to care." Uh, I just don't understand why he he wants to undo it. You know, he's like, I got to undo this. And Elaine and Jerry are loving life right now. So they uh, all tussle trying to block him from getting to the door. (laughs) And it ends in a big wrestling match, this scene. And uh, Elaine hops up on George's back, like, and (laughs) wrestles him to the ground. Yeah, everybody ends up on the ground. Even even Jerry going, like, you know, head head over feet, like, rolling. (laughs) Um, 
uh, or feet over whatever, head over heels, whatever. He 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 does a little somersault <laughs> on the ground is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and George shows up completely disheveled at Beth's front door in the next scene. Cut to inside of Beth's George sitting on the couch trying to undo what he did. And Jerry calls uh, Beth, um, you know, under pretense of like just kind of checking in on her. But also he knows George is there and asks to say hello to him. And George fakes a conversation uh, you know, kind of ignoring anything that Jerry is saying, uh, talking about like, you know, going out to get ice cream later and saying like, I love it. He's like, uh, mint chocolate chip. No, I, I don't like, I just like chocolate chip, Jerry with the, with the mint. It's too much. Why does the chocolate have to, always have to go with the mint? And then he's like, of course you can use that. As if it was like <laughs> such a great, I love that. <laughs> like it's such a good stand up bit. It's going right in Jerry's act. Like it wasn't even a joke, you know? <laughs> Wait, it's it's part of Jerry's act, though. It yeah, sounds like it would be ripped right from Jerry's, uh, yeah, right from his act. Jesus, why do we gotta have chocolate chips with the mint? What's the deal with the mint? Why can't I just have chocolate chips? <laughs> of course, you can use it. And then he hangs up uh, on Jerry, not listening to anything he's saying about you know trying to undo <laughs> what he did. Back up in the Jerry's apartment, uh, Kramer is in jeans, and I believe the same midriff shirt that he was wearing in the Calzone episode. It looks very similar to the one that he took out of Jerry's oven. I think you're right. (laughs) Just not Uh, shrunk this time. Yeah, well, I think maybe he has the jeans pulled up to the spot where the shirt (laughs) comes. Because he does have the jeans pulled up. They're not low-rise jeans. They're like normal waist, Mm -hmm. but they are slim-fitted. It's a weird cut, especially on someone whose body is shaped like Michael Richards. (laughs) (laughs) And then Mrs. Zambino shows up and asks Kramer to watch her kid for an hour. Uh... Kramer like how often yeah why would what and also I want to point out here Kramer definitely says to Jerry that the jeans are loosening up a little bit (laughs) and that Kramer is not having any problem at all walking currently ah I guess I didn't notice that I mean they might still be like a little stiff but it's definitely not uh, as bad as whenever he first came into Jerry's because he says, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, they're loosening up a little bit because Jer- Jerry says, you still have them on? Yeah, they're loosening up. <laughs> that, that That's a big, that's a big plot point, I feel like. Yeah. He, yeah, he's still kind of staggering, but yeah, maybe he's trying to convince himself more that, but I mean, the fact that he is maybe, able to physically walk, maybe. That, we're looking, that we're watching him physically walk. Yeah. I don't know. If, if he was just like standing still, I think it would have been better. Yeah, but he's, it seems like he's moving better than he had been, and then all of a sudden it's going to go back in. Yes. Yeah, in quality. It, it it seems like he got starched. It seems just weird to me that anybody would try, trust Kramer to watch a child of any age. Yes. It's just odd that she's like, and and he's like, oh yeah, maybe it's because he's always there and like she doesn't care about her kid. <laughs> maybe she's yes. Uh, maybe it's like. He, <laughs> Like you said, since Kramer's always there, he always knows who's in the building and who shouldn't be in the building. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. It's, it's also weird that she's like, oh, I'm just going to be gone for an hour. And she was like getting a, a whole, like a babysitter was coming like just for an hour. You know, it just seems she's got a weird, like, what was she going to do? And why does she have to do it at like 10 o'clock at night? Yeah. And leave her kid. Um, like, what, what's going on here? <laughs> for an hour at night? Yeah. In New York? Yeah. Hmm. yeah. I wonder. <laughs> Do you think Miss Zambino is a prostitute? Is that what you're saying? Maybe. I, I think <laughs> I think there's a, a better possibility than a zero percent chance. <laughs> it is it is weird that like, but yeah, I mean, I, well, I guess she's just a super responsible 
prostitute because I feel like I you mean, know, hey, she could. They exist. Not not yeah. not knocking any any sex workers out there. Sure. Sure. But then at, at some point, I don't, uh, yeah, maybe you don't want to invite the guy up to your apartment. I don't know. But yeah, it's it's weird because she's not dressed like a typical <laughs> New York City prostitute either. That's she's in like, true. you know, a, a house dress and like <laughs> like a denim dress and a and a sensible shirt and blouse and a vest. Um I don't know what she has to do for an hour at night that it can't wait <laughs> until the kid goes to school or something the next morning. But uh at that point Beth calls and does tell Jerry, you know, and I'm starting to think maybe I have made a huge mistake. And Jerry's like, oh, uh, hang on, I'll call you back. Because Elaine comes in and she insists that Jerry goes over to Beth's and turns on some of that charm that he's always telling her about. And, she, <laughs> and Elaine's like, I'll drive. And Jerry's like, oh, no, I'll take the bus. And she's like, I don't mind. You got to get in the car right now. He's like, oh, I'll take the subway. And he's like, I'll hitchhike. <laughs> because anything to avoid getting in Elaine's car. Uh, cut over to Monks where George and Susan are there and they're having yet another silent, awkward coffee. <laughs> And we get a call back and, to the shoelace conversation. Yeah, and they're sitting in the same exact position as David and Beth were earlier in the episode. Yeah, that's right. I totally, yeah, I totally didn't catch be, that be, because David is like sitting uh, side saddle on the yeah. seat with his legs stretched out. Uh, Beth at the time is like holding her coffee mug and just like sitting, kind of like re- really closed in on on the table. And I loved the conversation where George is like, "Oh, um." Those shoelaces you got for me worked out great. And Susan's like, well, you know what? I can get them anytime. Yeah. George is like, you know what? It uh, could be a while. <laughs> let, let me know. I can get you more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, should be a while before I need. Like, this is very exciting. <laughs> this is going to be George's married life. <laughs> uh, in Elaine's car, she is driving horribly. Jerry is getting car sick. But he eventually makes it to Bath's. And Elaine is giving him advice, like, open up to her. Women love that. And so Jerry does open up to Beth. And he tells her the most difficult story from his childhood that there were a pair of handball sneakers he wanted that he never got. Because they only came in adult sizes. Yes. And that's like a <laughs> that's very it. emotional story. <laughs> yeah, that's as much that's, as Jerry That's Jerry think. Seinfeld opening up. <laughs> Meanwhile, cut to Elaine, who is opening up to David <laughs> about having a fear of abandonment because her father left the family when she was nine years old. And it's interesting because we've met Elaine's father, you know? Yeah. And they seem to have... A relationship now yeah and i um i wrote this down and i felt like this was uh a a decent metaphor for this scene uh elaine is playing hardball while jerry is striking out at the tee uh yes she's playing hardball and he's playing handball ah <laughs> like it couldn't be any easier for jerry and he's still fucking it up yeah and, and elaine even tells him she's like you have the easy part she's like the yes. actual catch like i've got yeah. the loser in the relationship you know, this should be easy for you. <laughs> Elaine and David walk by monks and they see George and Susan inside. Elaine's like, oh, maybe we should go somewhere else. And David's like, no, let's go in. And they have a little short conversation. At And then David goes, when he finds out Susan is his fiance, he goes, oh, fiance. He tells Susan, oh, you could have done a lot better than him. Ha. And as they leave, yeah, being, you know, tr- trying to get back at George, obviously. But, and Susan does start having like a contemplative look on her face. But that's when George, like, perks up he's like wait a second you know he's always looking for a way out and this might be it and cut to the apartment where kramer is watching joey the the kid mrs joey zambino presumably and kramer stomping wakes him up i guess joey has a extreme frankenstein fear at the age of nine or however old he is and he ah, runs yes. away yelling yelling frankenstein yes frankenphobia 
And if if Kramer wasn't as an, as insufferable as I am, he would have yelled at Joey, Frankenstein's the name of the doctor. You're thinking of Frankenstein's <laughs> monster. Because <laughs> I love telling people that. <laughs> You know the meme Frankenstein of the guy. The the, you know the meme of the guy at the party who's just standing in the corner. Yes. Uh, everyone else is having fun. That's you saying Frankenstein was actually the name of the doctor. They don't know Frankenstein was not the monster's <laughs> yeah. name. And everyone else is just saying, "We know that. We don't care." <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, I always wanted. I, I, sometimes I see that meme and I'm like, "Oh, I get it." And then sometimes I'm like. <laughs> I don't get what this means, <laughs> but now you've made me like totally get it. <laughs> it had to relate to my own life somehow. They don't know Frankenstein is the not the monster. <laughs> no, no, we know. We just don't care. Uh, so <laughs> Mickey is in his apartment with a woman who was like really impressed with his uh, audition. And Kramer calls and he needs a favor. Uh, and... He says, you know what, I got you into the actor's studio with our audition because they thought what we did was the scene. And so Mickey's like, all right, I guess you do need a, you know, I guess I'll, you know, let you call in this favor, uh, even though it seemed like he was about to get lucky. Yeah, which uh, which just shows how obscure that play and that scene from that play was that they just thought, oh, yeah, this is it. This is how this is supposed to be going. People who devoted their life to the stage, like, didn't recognize it. (laughs) Uh, Over at Monk's, Susan tells George she wants to be alone, and George enthusiastically encourages her to think things out, you know, really. He's like, mull, just do a lot of mulling. He's, like, coming up with all sorts of uh, synonyms for thinking things over. (laughs) Mickey has to, for some reason, Kramer wants Mickey to pretend to be Joey in case... Mrs. Yeah, Zamboni uh, comes back while uh, Kramer uh, goes to look for Joey. Apparently, Joey left. Like, he didn't just, like, run to a different part of the apartment. He left. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was Which not gonna... said. That that was not even implied. It, it, he, we yeah, just he... see him running out of his room, and that's it. Yeah. Like, not... Yeah, he left the apartment. Like, he's gone <laughs> from the apartment. But I don't know why we needed Mickey to pretend to be Joey. I mean, I get it. It's a funny for a show, but, like, what... What was the plan here that what would what was going to happen when Kramer came back with Joey and she's home and they had to make the switch with Mickey? What was the end of this plan if it went perfectly? <laughs> we don't know. Like, we first know. of all, like, I don't want to jump too far. Uh, you know, I'll jump to the end. But she shows up and Kramer's not there. So yeah. she's like, well, God, why do I get Kramer to babysit? He just dips out whenever he feels like it. Absolutely. You know? And she, she doesn't even like she's not angry or anything that Kramer's yeah. not there. She just. Yeah. Th- I don't know. None, none of this makes sense. No, I, I'd love to know. This is kind of where a great episode falls apart just a little bit for me. I was mm-hmm. like, the end is not as good as the first half. Yeah. And this is where it's like they're just writing it and they're not explaining it well they're, enough. They're, like, they're you, writing you do have it, to do that. They're writing it to be wacky instead of yeah. having a wacky premise from the start. Yeah, a wacky premise that like holds up to reason. You know, uh, it's like, yeah, it's funny for someone like Mickey to pretend to be a little boy. But why? I mean, it's not yeah. a good enough reason that you've given us. By the way, I got to say, I love Joey's VHS collection that he has on the bookshelf behind oh, his bed. I didn't even notice. Yeah, I, I saw. So he has and I was never really into this, but he had the originals, original Goosebumps movie. Either that or it might be like a collection of Goosebumps episodes. I, I don't know. Um, I know you <laughs> used to have a TV show. Uh, Casper, the Friendly Ghost with uh, Christina Ricci. Classic. The Amazing Panda Adventure, which I definitely remember being a thing. Um, Rookie of the Year. Love that movie. 
Free Willy. I've talked how much about how much I love Free Willy, um, and Free Willy Two for that matter. Far from Home, D Two, The Mighty Ducks might yes. be the best one on the whole rack. Uh, Black Beauty, the 1994 movie. It was just remade for Disney Plus, uh, but this is the 1994 version of Black Beauty about a horse. And finally, another Thomas Ian Nicholas movie to go along with Rookie of the Year, A Kid in King Arthur's Court. So again, this is you, you could basically put me in this bed in in 1997, and it's, it's pretty much right on. <laughs> Although Goosebumps and Casper, I was never a big fan, but just Rookie of the Year, D2, Free Willy, those are right in my wheelhouse. Yeah, not pretending to be Joey, but just you in that scenario. <laughs> just me. Yeah, exactly. If if Kramer needed me, I guess I'd be there for him. But <laughs> I do. I do. I would like to know the plan first. Uh, up in Jerry's apartment, George tells Jerry excitedly about what just happened in Monks, and Jerry is unresponsive because he's feeling nauseous after riding with Elaine <laughs> and George is disappointed that Jerry's not having a better reaction outside Kramer is following Joey down the street shouldn't Joey be miles away at this point I mean how long did it take Mickey to get from wherever the hell he was to Kramer's apartment building and <sighs> Joey ran out like an hour ago at this point yeah and he I could be anywhere in like a 10 mile radius of this apartment but no, he's just down on the street. We're, we're led yeah. to believe anyway. We, we don't know for sure. He's just down on the same street. Yeah, Kramer, I guess, could have found him. In, you know, It could have taken a long time, and we like cut an hour of him searching the city, New York City, for this one little kid out. Yeah. But, and, um, yeah. and also, we see him walking like Frankenstein, like walking yes. like he, he's got a stick so far up his ass that it's tickling his brain. <laughs> Yeah, where once again, whenever he was in yeah. Jerry's most recently, that was not the case. <laughs> he is stiffened up once again. And Joey runs into a cop. The cop thinks Kramer was chasing Joey, which he was, but Kramer is insistent that he's the babysitter. Back up in the apartment, Joey's mom does come home, says goodnight to what she thinks is Joey in the bed, <laughs> but it's in fact Mickey. And for some reason, Mickey responds. Good night, mom. <laughs> yeah. Why? Which in itself is hilarious. But then again, does that come into Mickey not knowing the end of the plan? Yeah. <laughs> is, I mean, is he supposed to <laughs> is he supposed to turn on his acting charm? Is he trying to get back at Kramer for for oh, that could be. for ruining his own evening? All of these are great theories that I wish they would have picked and <laughs> explained. Because we can't, as an audience, you know, we, we don't know, we can't ascribe a motivation we're, to we're this. We're not because led it's to just believe being, yeah. anything. We're, right. we're just like, we're given this thing and expected to laugh. Yes. Yeah. And it, and like you said, it is funny, but like it has, it's just absurd and there's no reasoning to it. So yes. it loses a little bit of funniness. It's just a funny concept that they didn't write a good reason for. <laughs> um, Joey's mom screams, and we cut to Jerry's apartment with George, and they both hear it, and Jerry gives <laughs> us a classic. Basically, that's our Kramer. Gotta have something to do with Kramer. But it is a classic, <laughs> that's our Kramer moment from the show. <laughs> uh, cut to Elaine and David, who are, uh, yeah, Elaine and David, who are toasting with some whiskey, you know, to uh, their relationship yeah, and new beginnings. Was, but was this, yeah. uh, was this a bottle of Hennigan's? Kind of looked oh, like it. Oh, it might have been. It must have been. Because I don't think Hennessy that... exists in the show. Because I definitely saw an <laughs> H and a green bottle. I'm like, I think oh, this well, was a bottle of be. Hennigan's. Gotta be Hennigan's. And da Beth shows up and they embrace because they're making up. And Elaine like completely chugs her like <laughs> yeah, she, four she, fingers of whiskey. <laughs> yeah, she, she just throws it back. <laughs> 
Um, so over at George's, Susan returns, and George, it looked like he was taking, picking, he was holding a bunch of Susan stuff, it looked like, almost like moving her out right yeah. then. Is that what that looked like yeah, to you? Yeah, it looked like he was just carrying her shit out of the bedroom <laughs> with a smile on his face. Yeah, yeah. He's in such a good mood. But then he has to like pull it together because Susan's, she's been thinking a lot about the wedding and George like puts his head down and puts his arm on her shoulder and he's like bracing himself for the news. What yeah. She's going to think it's bad news, but he's like, this he's, is awesome. This is happening. Yeah. And she's like, you know what? I'm, I've decided to go with the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and George even like at first George like nods in agreement thinking like okay yes I know I'm sorry that we have to break things off wait what yeah and you know what it's kind of funny that she says it that way because you could almost think of it as like George is the chicken you know I've decided to go with the oh, chicken my God. I've decided to wow. stay with yeah. you the chicken yeah I think it's got a little double meaning <laughs> So that's the end of the episode. We do get one last little scene of Kramer in the interrogation room. And of course, he's being told by the detective who thinks he was like chasing a kid in the middle of the night to sit down. And Kramer can't sit down. Eventually, he just kind of like slides down the chair onto the floor, like reclining with his elbow on the chair. And uh, yeah, that's the end of the episode there. <laughs> great, great way to end. All, yeah, always yeah. go out on a laugh, I guess. <laughs> yeah I, I gotta say i mean i i i did star this episode but just like an just like the calzone it'll be it'll bump the calzone mm -hmm. but they're both like low on the list right now and it's only because this episode okay. petered out the way it did yeah see i i would definitely put the calzone ahead of this one yeah this one i like because it, it was i didn't remember it this was almost like seeing a new lost episode of seinfeld i was like <laughs> man none of this is ringing a bell it was like seeing wow, something okay. i never seen before yeah that's kind of cool yeah and so that's one reason i really liked it because it caught me so far off guard i was like i don't remember any of this i, I, I mean the mickey in the bed thing was rang the bell the most but i mean as far as anything else in this episode i was like wow i uh, this one was a new one on me a new favorite oh man okay so uh what do we got for homework Really, only one of the first lines of the whole episode, <laughs> Brenda Starr. And does she have anything to do with Gandhi? Who is she and what's her connection to Gandhi? Who is she and what's her connection to Gandhi? I feel like that's an interrogation <laughs> question. Um, yeah. Okay, what do we want to do for cover art this week? Mm, I'd love to get Kramer in those jeans. <laughs> and I'd love to get him out of those hey. jeans. <laughs> uh, I really like that. I really like the scene of Jerry like trying to like just yank them off. Yeah, yeah. With him on the back of the couch. Yes, like yes. That. Yeah. That's probably it. All right. Let's see what we can do about the description. So we had Jerry and Elaine anticipate dating soon to be single friends, parentheses, Carrie Elwes, comma, Deborah Messing. I like it. Yeah. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, yeah. I, I do wonder about the format of the description of having special guests because sometimes it's like semicolon special guests, this person and this person. Or, but this is this is weird. It doesn't say special guests, these people. It just says parentheses, Carrie Elwes, comma, Deborah Metheson, parentheses. Yeah, because it refers to the character, the single friends. Like oh, yeah, I guess. Friends, yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. That does make sense. Okay. Yeah, I like this. This this works perfectly fine. Yeah, I think. I'm down. Okay, so next week we have got season seven, episode 22, The Invitation, the finale of season seven. Uh, original air date, May 16th, 1996. And if you're looking at TV Guide that night, you are going to see George searches for a way to stop his impending nuptials 
Semicolon guests Janine Garofalo, Stephen Root, and Tim. You ready for this? Yeah. George Steinbrenner. The Big Stein. The real Big Stein. The real wow. Big Stein. Wow. I hope, anyway. Could you imagine if it's just like Larry David again? <laughs> it's, it's just the back of his head and Larry David's voice. <laughs> well, as uh, as lifelong fans for years know, this is going to be a very big episode, not only because it's the finale, but uh, something exciting happens. Ooh. Uh, but I don't want to spoil that for you, Ted. So uh, is that it? I think that's it. All right. For No Hugging, No Learning, I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. Be good. Be good.